lot going on. Good morning. Oh, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So good to see each other, one of you. You know, if you're, if you're visiting with us, you are our guest, and we're grateful for you being here. And we're thankful that um, you've come to worship with us this morning, and we don't take that lightly. It's a real honor for you to be here, for, for you to, well, well I don't get to dig myself in a hole. We're, th- we're, we're glad you're here. And, uh, and so if you will do us a favor and put, uh, and uh, there's a little card in front of you, you'll fill that out and put it in the seat when you leave. We will get those and uh, be thankful, and uh, we're great, grateful you're here. I know that it's a very special day for me because I got a couple of fellow, um, that a couple of fellows, well, I guess it's a fellowship that I'm with, poor Dory. I've known these people for a long time, and they're from uh, the Rosedale area, and so they're Rosedillians, and, uh, and so they've come to worship with us this morning, so I'm thankful for them. They say, well, pastor's off his rocker this morning. Well, I guess that's what Kelly's put up with the past 30-something years, so it's good to have you here this morning. Once again, Merry Christmas. Are you telling people Merry Christmas? I hope that you are, because it is absolutely a joyous time. You know, as we look into our, our text this morning, we're going to be in a classic Christmas text. It's in Matthew chapter 1, and it's an announcement to Joseph about what's about to happen. And when we look into this, we see that, um, that there's a very powerful statement in the middle of it, and I want you to really concentrate on that because it really asks the question what we are going to be asking this morning. And so let's stand together and we'll read the text. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Now remember when we... in my teaching in the Bible, always remember those transition words, but we have it right here in verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." Before we pray over this text, just know this. This is the verse 21 is where we're going to concentrate. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's the, the, this is the gift. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. And Father, we have sang about your immense glory. And Father God, we, we um, are so thankful that we are here this morning, Father God, to worship the great I am, but also know that in this, uh, this Christmas time that we remember that you entered into this world as one of us. Fully God, yes, but fully human as well for a purpose, to save his people from their sins. 
Heavenly Father, as we look at this grand statement, Father God, let us look in deep inside our heart and know in, in the, without a shadow of a doubt that we have, we have received the gift of salvation. Oh, Lord God, what a glorious thing it is to be known and loved and forgiven by God. So, Father God, we thank you for the time that you've given us here, and let us open our hearts to you. It's in that name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So you can see on the screen, I have a question for us. It's a very important question, especially at Christmas. What does it mean to be saved? If somebody came up on the street and, say, and asked you, what does it mean to be saved? What would you answer them? I think it's an important question because that's what God brought to us in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, some 2,000 years ago to bring us the most precious and powerful gift ever known to mankind. Praise God, amen? Because without it, where would we be? And so when we look at this, we see what did he bring to us? What does that gift entail? There are so many things wrapped up in salvation, but I must tell you that there is forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins that was transferred to us from Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve. It is restoration where he restores us in fellowship with the Father. It tells us that he makes us brand new, that we are a new creation in Christ, the Bible tells us. It tells us that he's given us freedom from this world, freedom from the bonds of sin, freedom from the bonds of death. You see, when we look at what salvation means, it incorporates all these things, but it gets even better. It tells us that there's fellowship with God right now as we are here and you have Jesus Christ and you've received him, you have the Holy Spirit and you have fellowship with him right now. And that means something so special in Merry Christmas where you say, thank you God for Christmas. Thank you God for that night where you entered the world. But it also means life. You see, all these things are what does it mean to be saved? It gives life. And the Bible tells us it's life eternal. And as we explore this a little bit deep, deeply, I want you to once again consider, am I completely right with God, not of myself, but through Jesus Christ? Am I right with God? Is my restoration there? Is there a restoration that he has given to me, a fellowship, a freedom, all of these things, because it resides in one place, and that's Jesus and Jesus alone. And so it's only by faith. Martin Luther wrote that many years ago, over 500 years ago, that it's sola fideo, by faith only. And so we need to ask this question, because the angel brought the news to Joseph, and now Matthew is bringing the news to us, this message, because he talks about now this is the birth of Jesus Christ. So I want you to consider those things. And so what does it mean to be saved? Well, there's some preliminaries that we need to understand. And the first preliminary is this. Salvation means that there's a Savior. Now, that sounds pretty simple, and it's true. Salvation means that there's a Savior. When we look into Scripture, we see three things. It is he, uh, Jesus Christ was planned, He was planted, and He's also present. Now, what do I mean by those things? If you look into Genesis chapter 3 and, and Isaiah chapter 53, in fact, all of Scripture, it leads to one point, and that's Jesus Christ. He was planned. God had a plan all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. W.A. Criswell, a great pastor in uh, First Dallas, 
he had, one, this is many years ago, preached a four-hour sermon on Jesus Christ. It's called The Scarlet Thread Runs Through It. And he preached Jesus Christ through all the Old Testament and New Testament. It took him four hours to do it, showing the lineage of Jesus Christ and the expectation of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And so he's planned. God had a plan. So when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit and sin came into the world, God had a plan. God has a plan for you. So you're planned as well. You're not a mistake. You're not some cosmic accident. You're not something just random DNA. God has a plan for you, and the plan is salvation. Because it tells us right here in verse 21, remember this is the core. The core says, and he will save his people from their sins. Praise God for that. So Jesus was planned. God had this ultimate salvation plan, this regeneration, this restoration through his son, Jesus Christ. And so how is that to be fulfilled? Well, here we have the greatest thing is that God comes to us. Because we see twice in this text that the Bible, that Matthew, that God himself wants us to know very specifically that is the Holy Spirit that put Jesus Christ into Mary. Let's take a look at it. See in verse 18. It says in verse 18, the very bottom of it, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. We come down a little bit more and see, look at verse 20. Mary is your wife, who has been conceived in her, is of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important, you ask? See, this is part of the preliminary. Why is it that, uh, that, Mary, that uh, Jesus couldn't have an earthly father? And I'll tell you why, and why the, 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 uh, the doctrine of the virgin birth is so important, and we should never, ever lose that because people want to take that away from us. The reason why is born of the Holy Spirit is that he needed to be sinless. Because remember, sin came through one man and entered into the world, and so therefore, if he had an earthly father, he would be part of that sinful nature. And so God took the Virgin Mary and took and placed, and the Holy Spirit, being fully God himself, placed Jesus Christ into her. He planted her in that womb. And so why is that important? It's because we need a sinless, innocent Jesus, a Savior, Emmanuel, that knew no sin, because one day he's going to be taking our sin. Never let anybody convince you about the, the, the falsehood of the virgin birth. We needed him. We needed him to be innocent. We needed him to be, we needed him to be guiltless because only the guiltless can take the sin, the guilt of me and you and the whole world, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, and make us whole. And so Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the third one is present. He's present with us. And it says in verse 23, And shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now look at those three things. God had a plan. God made the plan come into being. And so now he is present with us. Emmanuel. What is an amazing thing is you see all the major religions out there and they will tell you who God is. God announced through his word who the true God is. And the true God came to be with us and, and walked amongst us. You can go to John chapter 1 and it tells us that, uh, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God who loves us so much, who created the world, uh, became human for us. Why? 
is because he had to be human to, in order to die for us, fully being divine. You see, this all wrapped up in, a, in, in doctrine. And so it, the doctrine of him being uh, prophesied is he has come. The, 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 the doctrine of him being by the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth, it is here. And we know that he is present with us today, God with us. Now, he sits at the right hand of the Father, that is true. But the Holy Spirit is with us. God himself is with us today. And we know and praise him for that. And so salvation means that there is a Savior. Now, you may be thinking to yourself this morning, or maybe somebody watching this morning, and I'm thankful that we get to broadcast. You may be thinking, I don't know if I need a Savior. Well, let me answer that. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus Christ. We all need to have that forgiveness, that restoration that I talked about, that newness of life, that freedom, that fellowship, and eternal life. And so what does it mean to be saved? It means that we have a Savior, the one that, that came to us. And I know I've already talked about this, but you see, it means a Savior it means that there's a problem. And sin is the problem. You see, sin has such dividing power. All it knows how to do is separate. All it knows how to do is, is, to, is to bring us further away from God. And what is sin? So let's talk about what sin is. It is a transgression. It is going over the line. It is missing the mark. And so God has his, his righteousness and his glory and his holiness and his commandments, and they are pure and holy. And it tells us that sin is against all of those things. It puts us in odds, um, it puts us against him, and so it's missing the mark, and we transgress that. Actually, when you think about it, it's about a trespassing, that we have trespassed where we should not go, that we've trespassed against God's righteousness and his holiness. It has such dividing power that it has divided us from the presence of God. Go all the way back into Genesis chapter 3, and what happened when they sinned? God went to look for them. In fact, God was the first evangelist, by the way. They call that proto-evangelism, the first evangelist. He went looking for them. And after it's all discovered about what they had done and how they hid and sowed the fig leaves and everything, there was a separation. Out of the garden they went. You see, that's what sin does. It separates, it divides. But you see, and it has a penalty as well. And the penalty, it tells us, is death. For we all fall short of the glory of God. But it also tells us there's a terrible cost to sin, and it's death. The Bible says we're all appointed once to die a physical death, but the Bible also talks about the second death, the spiritual death. And God has an answer for the physical death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that one day if you're in him, you'll be resurrected, that physical body. But he also has an answer for the spiritual death. And that means that when you die, when you physically die, you go into the presence of God, you're accepted by him because, you see, sin has an answer, and you've said yes to that answer, Jesus Christ. You see, you don't have to be fearful in this land. You know, you don't have to be fearful in this life. You're walking in fellowship with the Lord, with the great I Am. And you said that I have a sin problem, and the sin problem can only be taken by one person, one Lord, and it's Jesus Christ. And so that's what sin does. You see, the Son came to overcome the penalty. 
I played one hockey game in all of my life. And it wasn't ice hockey. You don't want this on, uh, on skates, right? Let's lighten it up a little bit. You don't want this on skates, but it was field hockey. Now, I believe that um, I'm very competitive, and I believe that, uh, you know, you should, I've seen it on TV, you know, where they bash it, but I remember the old Tulsa Ice Oilers, and uh, they uh, go down downtown, and I mean, there were more fights in the stands than there were on the ice. And, uh, but I played this game, and so I believe that you go after the puck, and, you know, they body check and all that sort of thing. Well, I got put in the penalty box one time because I was a little rough. Can you imagine me being rough? Boy, not a lot of amens out there. I'm going to have to improve my image a little bit. But I got put in the penalty box because I broke the rules. I went over the line <laughs> a little bit too much. But you see, that little penalty only lasted a short time. And that's where my... That's where my, my illustration ends. You see, sin can only have one answer to get you out of the penalty box, and that's Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. You can't think about good things. You can't help people across the street enough. You can't do anything. You can't buy it. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this, we see that Jesus paid the penalty. What was the penalty? He died. It tells us that um, you go further into Matthew, you go further into Luke and Mark and John, and you'll see that he died. So this one that was born in a manger, one of my favorite songs and is that um, Christmas has its cradle, but Easter has its cross. I think we've sung it in here. So it's a massive thing when we think about this baby was destined to take the sins of the world, and it was the ultimate payment, his death. The atonement through his blood. You see, without Jesus, the verdict is still death. With Jesus, the verdict is life. What a glorious thing it is. So here's the thing. I wrote this in my notes many years ago. If you are sick, you don't need somebody telling you're sick. You need a doctor. If you have some legal troubles, you don't need somebody telling you have legal troubles. You need a lawyer. If you have sin and need forgiveness, you don't need yourself, you need Jesus, the great physician, the one who mediates for us. And so the Savior means that we need him and that everybody needs him. And so what does it mean to be saved? Let's get to the nitty-gritty. We've already taken care of the preliminaries. What does it mean to be saved? So there's four things I want you to see in this. The first one is delivered from danger. The second one is protected from danger. The third one is being nourished. And the last one is home. So let me put these in perspective for you. And another illustration. I want you to think about yourself, or I want you to think about the concept of salvation being this and being on a boat and somebody goes overboard. You know, many years ago, um, I took Kelly out on an overnight fishing trip out into the Gulf of Mexico about 40 to 50 miles out. And you get that far out. Now, there's more to the story. She'll never go fishing with me again in that, in that regard. There's more to the story about that. But I remember it was an overnight. It was from 8, or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I'm out there about 2 o'clock in the morning after I went to check and see how she's doing. <laughs> Once again, more to that story. 
And I'm there, and the ocean is about 8 to 10 foot, and we're bobbing up and down in that. And so I would go forward, and I'd go back, and I was holding a fishing pole going forward and back. And the moment it hit me, what would it be like if I'm thrown over this? What would happen if I'm overboard? I can tell you that living with sin, you're overboard. So what does it mean? I want you to keep this, this illustration in your mind. And so what's the first thing happens if somebody discovers that you're overboard? Well, I can tell you that um, when I've been on a cruise ship before and they tell you all the things going to go on, there's going to be these things happen. It's going to be that the lights go on because they're going to be shining down in the water. The lights are going to go on. Not only are the lights going to go on, there's going to be an alarm sounded. And that as alarm sounds, we know that there's, the horns are blaring on that. The lights go on and they look into the ocean and they see you. And the first thing they do is they're going to make the preparations to throw you a life ring. They're going to make preparations to send you a boat. And so what they do is that the, all these things, and so the whole purpose of all these things is to deliver you out of the sea. Because a sea is not where you belong. I can tell you right now, sin is not where God wants us to be. We don't belong in this state. We, he's come that we will belong to Him. And so what they'll do is they'll do all these things. And so all the lights go on, everything, and everybody rushes to make sure that you're out of danger. And that's what Jesus does. He came to deliver us from danger. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, for he's delivered us from the power of darkness and delivered us and brought us into the fellowship of his love, the one God loved, his beloved son. You see, God knows that we're adrift in this world, that we're awash in a sea of sin. And he knows that our creation, that he, that he created us, by the way, Psalm 139. And that is not what he wants for his creation to be in this endless sea. Because you're in danger without Jesus Christ in this life. And I'm just going to put it very, very plainly here. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, if you've accepted and received him, you're in mortal danger of that spiritual death. A separation from God forevermore. I can't put it any more plainly. What does it mean to be saved? It means that we need to deliver, and God has sent us a deliverer. Amen. Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without that? And so when we look at this, we see that, that as they, they go and they, they get you on the life ring and they send the boat out and they get you out of the water. And as they get you out of the water, the second thing is, you're protected from danger. Now, you're taken out of that sea, you're taken out and you're put back on the boat, and they, they take care of you, and they, they make sure that you're protected from the danger, so they get you as far away from the railing, they get you in there, and they bring you to the middle of the ship, and to make sure there's no possibility of you going back in the water. Now, let me say about the glory of God here, there's just praises for Him, is that when Jesus Christ saves you, there is no danger of you ever going back in the water. There is no possibility of that because his blood covers it all. His blood says that here's the thing. You are saved and you're saved forevermore. The Bible tells us in John that you are saved and nothing can pluck you, pluck you out of the Father's hand. It tells us that right the next verse that nothing can take you out of the Savior's hand. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, and I hold those so dear. You know when I'm having a bad day, I turn to Romans chapter 8. When life really gets rough on me, I turn to Romans chapter 8. You know why? 
is because it explains it so well that God loves me and he's not going to let go. So verse 38 and 39 tells us there's not anything in this world, anything physical in this world, anything spiritual in this world, any force against you in this world can never take you out of the love of God. And I'm telling you, I think I am so thankful to God that I'm never going back in because of what he's done. Folks, I'm telling you, we talk, I, I talked to a guy the other day, and he's my financial, he says, I want you to give you some security about your finances, and I got to thinking about that, and he's talking about all the investments and all the things he's going to do and that sort of thing. And I got to thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, I want to provide for my family and all the things in case of my, uh, my, uh, my departure from this world. And I got to thinking about that, and about all the, the, he says, I want you to have some security. I'm telling you folks, if we're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ, you have all the security in the world. Because the Bible tells us, to go back to Psalm 139, it tells us that he knows us, he knows we're here this morning, he knows what's going on in our lives. He knows my granddaughter's hungry. I'm telling you folks, we have a God who loves us. And everything about him says, come to me. You know, I'm reminded of, that, of that, um, that healing. And Jesus said, do you want to be made well? And the man says, I do. Oh, what a glorious thing is knowing that we're protected from danger and the danger of being separated from God for an eternity. What a, what a, what a, what, what a joy that is to know that I'm protected. My grandparents raised me and one of the things that um, I always knew is I could lay my head down at night and I knew that if anybody ever broke into this thing, they'd be, <laughs> they would be sorry for it because my grandfather was, was ready. And I knew that I was safe in his presence. Oh, what a glory that is, folks, to be safe in the presence of God because he won't let you go. He knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. And even as a saved person, as those that are here and we've had a relationship with Jesus Christ, troubles still come, don't they? Remember, I told you in my happy place was Romans chapter 8. Well, he's there and he never leaves us. See, that's a glorious for God. And so we're delivered from danger. We're protected from danger. And then we transfer it a little bit. Now, what do they do for the guy or the gal that they're plucked out of the ocean? Well, they take care of them. They give them some soup, they give them some coffee, they warm them up, they put some blankets on them. They make sure that the sea's cold is taken away as quickly as possible because you can die of hypothermia. They put some dry clothes on you and they make sure that you're protected and they medically supervise you and all the things going on. You see, one of the things that we might know about what does it mean to be saved? Yes, we are delivered from danger. Yes, we are protected, never going back in. But just know there is such nourishment from God. There is such peace with him. As you open up his word, and I was just, uh, I was just amazed by how God uh, has loved us so much through this that he wants us to know that he nourishes us. We are here right now being nourished. And what does that mean? It means that, that um, he has given us these things. He's given us his word. But you know, the Bible also says that he gives us, he is the living water. 
and with this you'll never thirst again. It tells us that He is the bread of life and you'll never hunger again. You see, through Jesus Christ, what it means to be saved, that internal hunger that you have, and many people call it this, the hole that you have in your life. People say, well, nothing can fill this hole. And, and I've found I've been doing all sorts of things. I've done, I've done things to excess. I've done alcohol. I've done drugs. I've done the relationships, whatever it may be, and nothing or fame or power, whatever it may be, and nothing has ever filled that hole. And I can guarantee you that all those things you can try over and over and over again, and there is only one thing that's going to do that for you, and that is Jesus Christ who's going to fill you up. But yet we have this the scrambling around for meaning. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want my life to mean something. I want it. People have asked me on so many times, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is verse 21. He's come to save his people from their sins and to give them life. That's the meaning of life. And so he nourishes us. You see, the thing about our Lord God is that he's so powerful. It tells us in the scripture, we go into the and I get kind of choked up about that because I was thinking about it. You know, our Lord God is so powerful that his lunch feeds thousands. Just a lunch can feed thousands. Think about that as he nourishes us with his word and his presence because the Holy Spirit is with us forevermore as a Christian. And the Holy Spirit tells us and comforts us and guides us. And so it tells us that we are with him and he's in us that he is mine and we are his. <coughs> the greatest nourishment in the world. But yet he's given us something else. He's given us this great thing of this. This great, this great word of God that, that is living and active, eternal, and all these things. And, and we can know God and we see his, his purpose and we see the things that he's doing and, and we're so grateful for it. And so we have access to him through his word. We have access through prayer. God has not left us alone. We're not abandoned on this earth. We have relationship. And he wants that relationship. He sustains us. He nourishes us. And so he's, he's delivered us from dangers, protected us from danger. Now he has a word for us. He has messages for us. He has plans for us. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? I do. Now, everybody's going to be different because God has made every one of us different. It's amazing the fingerprints and the snowflakes and all those things that God loves that variety. And yet we all made up a little bit differently, but all the same. So God has a plan for you. It may be to sing. He's not, that was not his plan for me. You should say amen for that. <laughs> I didn't think anybody would take me up on it, but, you know. <laughs> but it is good to, to know that God has plans for us. And they're all going to be different, different talents, different gifts and all that. And he'll nourish that. And he wants to bring it into fruition. And so when we think about it, do you have a church home? Do you have a place? And, and uh, you know, we don't say that enough anymore about a church home. Because that's what it should be. A church is our home. That we can come because why? Is because there's family there, church family there. And what do you do in a family? Well, you eat together, you fellowship together, you work together, you celebrate together. It's a church home. 
And the reason why it's a church home also is that's where we come together and we sing praises to God together. The Bible tells us, you know, people say, well, I don't need church. I can go out in the woods or I can go out anywhere and I can fellowship with God just as good as anywhere else. It is true, you can go out there and do those things, but the Bible disagrees. The Bible says, do not forsake the fellowshipping with each other. Why? It's because we need each other. And we're meant to be nourished together and grow together. And so when we look at this, we see what does it mean to be saved? He's done these things, and so he's nourished us. Now I'm going to bring it to an end here. The last one is what does it mean to be saved? It means home. I have lived in a lot of houses. God has chosen for me to be a pastor, and I have lived in a lot of houses. And I have been provided for, and God has seen fit that we've, we've lived on farms, we've lived in cities, we've lived in <clears throat> towns. I've lived in two ghost towns, actually. And, uh, and I tell you what, they may, they may label that a ghost town, but we'll never find better people. But you see, God has a lot of plans for that, and so he's put me in a lot of different homes. I've had a lot of addresses. The other day I was looking something up and it was a, a software I'd bought years and years ago and it had my address all the way in Ralston, Oklahoma. And that's been years since I've lived there. And so when I think about that, that God has put me in a lot of different places and maybe you too. Maybe you've been in the same place for, for decades and that's great too. But you see, the reason I'm saying home is this, folks is that one day, even though we've had all these different addresses, in Christ, if you're saved, what does it mean to be saved? It means you're going home one day. True home. Permanent home. And it's with the Father, it's with the Son, it's with the Holy Spirit. See, what does it mean to be saved? It means that, yeah, I have you know, a limited time on this earth, and I understand that. But the Bible tells us that I have an unlimited time with God, home. The Bible tells us in John 14, 1, you've probably heard this so many times, seen it in funerals and everything, and it is so appropriate because the Bible tells us don't be troubled. God doesn't want us to be troubled. He wants us to be invigorated. He wants us to be encouraged. He says, be not be troubled, for I go and I prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare one for you. And here's the great thing about it is, when I go to prepare a place for you, I will be there and with you also. Oh, what a glorious thing, folks. We get to go home one day, true home one day. And the Bible tells us it's, gonna, it's coming. The Bible tells us, and, it's, and the, the Bible is true, and it, is, it is, is living, and it tells us the very end of things. You can go right to the end of this great book. And it tells us the end is coming. Now, I may live to see that. I may not. God may take us and deliver us right now. I do not know, but I do know this, that the Word of God is true, and He wants everybody to go home with Him. Home. You know, God is so great is that this, this thing about Let's just say you're on the deck of that ship or you're in the middle now and you're being fed and nourished and everything. And the last part of that is, is you have this thoughts, I just want to go home. 
I just want to go home. Have you ever been there? You've been away from your home and think, man, I just want to go home. I know there's many times I've been on vacation and it just drives Kelly crazy. I'm going to put that car into gear and nothing's going to stop me. Not even the greatest ball of twine in the world is going to deviate me from going home. And I won't ask for directions either. Because I'm a guy. See, I get more, I, I get more hallelujahs on that than I do anything. Because I, I, I hit upon it. You see, the thing is, God wants us his time. He wants us in the direction of coming home. And, and so I'm going to tell you, you see, when we have that idea, it's time to go home. You see, we have that longing to see family. I have many that I love dearly that are in the hands of Jesus right now. And I long to see them again. I'd like to have known them before they were old. I'd like to have known them when they were um, just beginning to be ornery. <laughs> so we think of home, we think of friends, we think of our family, the comforts of home. And so when we think about this, I'm telling you, and this is the greatest thing, and this is about our Lord God, this, this, this concept of home, folks, is that God expects us to come home. He sent Jesus with that expectation that we will go home with him one day, that we'll be there forever, that we will fellowship together, but yes, we will glorify him. We will stand with the throng, with the angels in the heaven, and the Son of God, the, our Lord Jesus Christ, will illuminate by his glory. There will be no need for a son any longer, and we will be there forever and ever. I do not know what all that entails, but I trust God that he has prepared it. And I'm telling you, I am excited about one day being with him. Because I know that when this life is over, there's an eternity to come. And so I want to ask you today, I want to ask you today as we come to this, do you know what it means to be saved? Do you know what it means to be delivered? Do you know what it means to be protected? Do you know what it means to be nourished? Do you know what it means about expecting home? Well, I want to give us an opportunity, and we do that at the very end today. We call an invitation. And an invitation is not something where we want to make an example out of anybody. It's a time to come and, 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 and meet with God. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ... You've never received that grace, that freedom. You've never, you've never placed and said, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I confess it to you and I want what you have offered to us. I want peace in my life. I want that meaningful life. I want to be with you one day and I want to have that relationship with you now. Today is the day. Today, right now. And so when we come to this time of invitation, I want to invite you to come and pray. Now, it may not even, you may say, well, I've been a Christian a long time. But you see, somewhere in all of this, from the protection or the nourish that, that um, you, you maybe haven't spent a lot of time in your word, maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in prayer, and you're feeling this kind of a disconnect with God, and you're feeling like, man, I, need, I just really need to spend some time with him. Tell him the whole truth. I love the, 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 the scene and the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She came and she told him the whole truth. 
Because here's the great thing about that. And here comes another sermon. I'm going to try not to do it. But it tells us in Hebrews that you can come boldly before the throne and you come boldly to him and you can tell him the whole truth and he is going to accept you. He's not going to kick you away. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, it tells us by no means will I cast out all those who come to me. By no means. That's why he came. And so this relationship that we have with him, it may be something that may be a little bit weak, maybe a little bit shaky, maybe come and pray and seek him. Because, you know, we get all caught up many times about, about invitations. Say, well, I don't want people knowing where I'm going down. I'm telling you, I want to be known by God. I want people to know that I go to him. Now, you can do this privately as well. I guess the reason I'm saying all this is I don't want us to miss anything this morning. The business that God has for us this morning. And so whatever God has laid upon your soul and your spirit this morning I, I urgently ask for you to spend some time with him because he'll meet you right where you're at and oh what a joy it is so you come this morning as we pray Heavenly Father I thank you because what does it mean to be saved you've answered that for us and we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father God, we are so grateful that, Father God, you chose and developed a plan that we may have life and life with you. And so I ask God, as we're in this time of invitation, that, Father God, that we are not bothered by pride or, Father, by fear, that we just want to come seek you. And Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, God, because you're always ready to hear us. And I thank you, God, because of your great love for us. So watch over us now, Father God. It's in that name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.